0: So using this equation on the upper left right here, I'm projecting that we need to win at least 99 games in order to make it to the postseason. We need to score at least 814 runs in order to win those games and allow no more than 645 runs. What's this? This is the code that I've written for our year-to-year projections. This is building in all the intelligence that we have to project players. Okay. It's about getting things down to one number. Using stats the way we read them will find value in players that nobody else can see. People are overlooked for a variety of biased reasons and perceived flaws. Age, appearance, personality. Bill James and mathematics cut straight through that. Billy, of the 20,000 notable players for us to consider, I believe that there is a championship team of 25 people that we can afford. Because everyone else in baseball undervalues them. Like an island of misfit toys. Billy, this is Chad Bradford. He's a relief pitcher. He's one of the most undervalued players in baseball. His defect is that he throws funny. Nobody in the big leagues cares about him. Because he looks funny. This guy could be not just the best pitcher in our bullpen, but one of the most effective relief pitchers in all of baseball. This guy should cost three million dollars a year. We can get him for 237000
1: Welcome to episode 47 of the Monday Morning Critic. Today we have the established and wonderful actor, Reed Diamond. Reed, what's going on, my friend?
2: How's it going, my brother? Nice to talk to you.
1: Reed, I gotta ask you, what the hell do you want for Ricardo Rincón? (laughs) <laughs> i'm a huge Moneyball fan we'll get to that we'll get to that that's that it. was
2: really funny oh yeah. my god uh, we'll get to i
1: that. mean i had to
2: learn it's so funny that you said that because it's like you, you you said that word and i learned it because i'm not a sports guy yeah and so i i basically approached that uh that scene learning it like it was dialogue for um say er medical dialogue but go ahead sorry
1: right so yeah that's what I, we'll get to that um okay so, so we know you're born and raised in new york you know you're out west right, right now um but for a little bit there And if I'm incorrect on any of this, please correct me. You wanted to be a police officer, and and you actually attended the uh, Los Angeles Police Academy. Am I wrong with that?
2: You know, it's it's pretty close. I mean, I know you're getting that from online or from IMDb. So what's interesting is – okay, so – I always knew I was going to be an actor. I, I've, I'm trying, I was thinking back on it today. I can't really remember a time where I didn't want to be an actor. And, and pretty much if I ever thought about any other career, I thought, well, I can just pretend to be that, right? So, And I think pretty clearly by the time I was eight years old, I knew I wanted to be an actor. And, and certainly by the time I got to high school, there was, no, there was nothing else I was going to do with my life. But I think what happens is I had some sort of different stages as, as you're growing up, you go through some sort of existential crisis. And I'd been doing it for, you know, for a few years professionally, I think at this point, and I'd moved to Los Angeles and I'm in my early mid twenties. And I thought, gosh, what this, what am I contributing to the world? I'm, I'm just, I'm a guy, you know, puts on makeup and does dress up and plays pretend. I want to do something real with my life. And, and and so I'd always been I'd always been fascinated with police officers and cops, and, you know, growing up in New Yorkers thought they were really cool and, and and always those were the stories that I was interested in, you know, watching Scorsese movies or Sydney Lumet movies, and so um, I befriended a bunch of cops in Los Angeles um, because a lot of these guys work as actors; they work as background guys. And so I befriended some uh, LAPD officers, and and I went on some ride-alongs with them. And I went; I didn't; I I I I went to the police academy. I visited the police academy with these, with um, one uh, cop in particular. Um, But uh, what was interesting was I spent all this time with these cops, and all these guys all they want to do is become actors. Hmm. And, and I realized, I realized that while I I realized that I was, I, that's what I was, I was an actor. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a great cop. And I thought at that moment I go, I want to play one as truthfully and as honestly as I possibly can. And within a year, I think I was on homicide. So that was sort of my wish fulfillment. So I wanted to honor the cops I knew, but there was a brief, about a year where I seriously thought about uh, switching careers.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you must have a, a, I mean, not that you didn't before, but just a new appreciation, especially because not a, some of your roles involve FBI, you know, police-related fields. You must have an appreciation for police and law enforcement like like some of us that don't have because you really see or saw a lot of what what goes on, you know, and, and what they have to deal with
2: yeah I mean I just i mean all the cops that I knew've are, are, are all or i 've have known throughout my career've all just been really interesting, cool, funny guys with very dark senses of humor mm. and 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 I thought also they do really important work and um and when I did homicide, that was that sort of wish fulfillment I sort of in a certain way played the cop I always wanted to be, but then I think. As the trajectory of that, of that character went, when I played Mike Kellerman on Homicide, he went downhill fast. Because I think if you come in thinking you're going to make the world a better place, you get your ass handed to you pretty quickly. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it seems like those, no matter what you want to do as a police officer, FBI agent, and so forth, it seems like to, to, to get to the element that you're trying to clean up, you have to almost get to their level. And yeah. you know it's, some of those police officers have it tough, I think
2: yeah it's a, it's an incredibly tough job for not a lot of money i think that's why most of the ones i knew all want to become actors um and uh but it you know it, it was it, it was it's a it's an amazing you know now when i started out i was playing a lot of cops and then as you get older you start playing fbi agents and now right now i'm playing the the the, the head of the fbi on mm-hmm. designated survivor great show by the way yeah yeah
1: um, so yeah, uh, before we get there, I know you're born and raised, yeah. in, you're born and raised yeah. in New York. Uh, you so dad works as a director in the sixties and seventies at WOR, uh, Joe Franklin show. He does noontime, you know, new, the, the noontime newscast. Do, right. how, how much of, how much of <laughs> what you're doing now do you get from your dad?
2: You're very good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, my dad worked at channel nine WOR in, uh, in New York city and, It's sort of I'd love to make a movie about that station because it it was just a different time in New York City. The the station was right there at Times Square at 42nd Street and Broadway. And it was one studio and Channel Nine's at the time was just a local station in New York City. And then eventually I think it became a super station sort of like TBS um, did. And and, uh, but it was literally one studio. And they would have all the sets around the wall, all four corners of that studio. And then they would just move the cameras from show to show. Mm. And my father directed the news, and he also directed the Joe Franklin show. And are you familiar with the Joe Franklin show? Uh, You know,
1: I did watch the Joe – why do I remember watching this show when I was younger? How long was he on for?
2: He was on – I think he went off television probably – in the late 90s, early 2000s, but he'd been on since the 60s. And my, my father directed the show for, I think, about 30 years, but it was an amazing show. And I, and um, a lot of people may know it because Billy Crystal would do a parody of it on Saturday Night Live That's back right. in the 80s. Yeah. Right. But it was it was this incredible show and just another time in show business because Joe Franklin could have sitting next to him. He could have uh, Milton Berle, and next to Milton Berle, he could have Joey jo- Joston from like New Jersey, who sang in some bar band there, <laughs> and and he would treat them as if they were equally as famous, and that's what I loved about. It. And so, you would have the, the 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 biggest stars in the world, and then these these guys who were, well, you know, he was on Broad They had us, they did a scene in in, in uh, Broadway, Danny Rose, the Woody Allen movie, where they, they had where Broadway, you know, where one of his actors went on the Joe Franklin show. And that's what it was. You could have a guy who's a comedian or, a, you know, does a tap dancing act in Secaucus, and he gets to be on the Joe Franklin show. Um, so it was, but anyway, but growing up, you're, you're saying uh, my father directed at the television station, and it was just an amazing world. And um, I think, I don't know if it in Inspired me to be in the business. I think I certainly think growing up in New York City and having access to all that theater and it was a very exciting time certainly led to um, an interest in the theater. And then because my father was tangentially in the business, um, it wasn't something he discouraged me from doing.
1: Yeah. And and I I do remember seeing Joe Franklin when I was younger. And and I know Howard Stern talks about Joe Franklin, not often, but he used to talk about him quite a bit. So, I mean, I I just didn't know because maybe, you know, a lot of times kids see their father coming home from work and they're like, I got to do that when I get older. You know, that's what I want to do.
2: Well, it was an exciting thing because I think I mean, it was what he did was very sexy because he was directing live television. And I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. It, it's happening and he's directing it. It's an analog world. He he has a stopwatch, mm. a, a, an analog stopwatch in his hand. And he's calling out where the cameras go. And 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 so it was, he was the, sort of the master of this domain. And I remember everyone was sort of in love with him because it was such a very powerful position. And um, and then he'd go out and he'd talk to the stars of the show and the guest stars. And and so it, it was very romantic. Um, certainly, you know, I was I was exposed to a lot of actors. The building I grew up in was was chock a block full of actors and and people in in the theater and in the cabaret world. Um, so I, I was always drawn to it. And it certainly seemed and has proven to be a, a great community to be a part of.
1: Now, how much of does does dad get to see how how far you've progressed as an actor? Does he get to see your career unfold a little bit or or does
2: that not happen? No, it completely happens. He's he's still going strong at 80. Oh, oh, yeah. And then he's and he's got his own sort of performance life because he finally retired from being a director. And then um, for a long time was at the Metropolitan Opera in charge of all the non singing roles that. The actors and dancers and the supernumeraries, which is the uh, the term they use for the background people in the operas, which right. there's, and, you know, if you're doing AIDA, you've got 400. I, I, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but there's a lot of people and a bunch of elephants out there. And then um, he also does cabaret shows. He just I think he just won last year best male vocalist in New York for his uh, his cabaret act. Wow. So, very cool. Yeah. 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 So he I mean, he was always this uh, he was a director. And then I think when I became an actor, uh, I. It was something that he'd always wanted to do. So then he started to pursue it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I got to think, you know, a guy who's in the field must be so proud of you. I mean, do you guys ever talk shop? Like, I know he's in kind of a, maybe not the same type of, he, you're both in the same kind of field. Does he ever offer like insight, advice? Does he ever say, hey, great job in that, in this past episode, great job in this movie? Is he, is he kind of in, in that way hands on? Is he,
2: He's not, you know, it's funny you say that. He's not, he's not particularly hands-on, but uh, in early on, when I first, well, probably the first 10 years of my career, he would watch something, whether it's a movie or a television show that I'd done. And he'd, he'd call me with just a very detailed critique. And and a lot of it could be quite negative. And I I finally just said, Hey, you know, dad, I just want you to be a dad. All I want to hear is I was awesome. You mm. love me. Great job, and uh, I think he's got that over the years. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need the full—I <laughs> don't need the full rundown of what worked and what didn't d- didn't work. The, the harshest critic on the planet, as far as my work is concerned, would always be me. Anyway, so I, c- I can take care of all the negative.
1: So then I have to ask you about mom. Mom was in astrology. Is that on, am I on point with that? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, so, but uh, she was she was an astrologer.
1: So that's great. And I mean, and I have to say, you know, you as your career unfolds, you are a child actor. So how old are you when you first do your, I know you were big at the after school specials, not big. Well,
2: this is okay. So now this is very funny. Now, this is the problem (laughs) with the internet. There is another actor named Reed Diamond. And he and I are basically, I would say, about the same age. So he was in these uh, movies. Uh, he was in Two Minute Warning. He was in all this, uh, the, the, the Hulk TV show. He was in all these things in the early 70s. And, um, and then I think he went on to do other things. He chose another career path. So when I joined, I did my first professional job. It was a commercial for Panasonic in 1985. And I had to go join the Screen Actors Guild. And when uh, I went to join the Screen Actors Guild, they said, well, there's already a Reed Diamond. You can't be Reed Diamond. And I... I'd always been Reed Diamond. I'd been Reed Diamond for 16 years at that point, my entire life. And so, for the first few years of my career, I had to add my middle name. So, I think on Memphis Bell, and um, I also did an after school special, which is my first sort of dramatic role in in, in the late 80s uh, called Date Rape. And I was Reed Edward Diamond. And finally, after Memphis Bell came out, I said, God, you know, I don't like having three names. I never was my middle name. I And I had that, even before I added the middle name, we had a whole day of our, my father and I, I guess, giving me advice, we sat down and we made a list of possible names other than my name, because at that time you just, you couldn't do it. You had to choose another name that could only be one person with that name in the union. And I came up with all these names, but they, they weren't me. And I, and I wanted to be myself. So, uh, after Memphis bell, I wrote him a letter and I said, Hey, I don't know if you're still acting, but I would love it if I could be Reed Diamond. And he very graciously allowed me to have my name again. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, but if you look at it, it looks like I worked from about 1970 to 1974, then took about 11 years off and then <laughs> up again. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, so those, those, and it's funny because he was blonde and we, in fact, it was uh, when I was in, I remember, I think I was in about fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade PS84 on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And they showed his after school special um, which was called i think Sarah's Summer of Swans and I, and i remember it cuz we looked pretty he, he could have been me i could have been him so we looked very similar and we were you know contemporaneous in age and i remember all the girls coming up and like oh reed we love and i didn't i didn't deny that I, at that time that i was in Sarah's Summer of Swans but i was not that was the other reed diamond oh
1: and, and so so you're still a teenager when you're it's your first time in front of the camera though you're still i don't want to say you're a kid but you are you know, real, um, 16,
2: yeah. Yeah. 16, 17. Yeah, exactly.
1: So and then you kind of go to UNC for two years. Phenomenal school. Right. And what? why Why only two? Because I know you go to Juilliard after that. Why only two at UNC? Yeah, it's
2: very it's it's very similar to the police officer story. It's like, I always knew I was going to be an actor and I'd been pretty I'd taken it very seriously. So at, each summer I would pursue I wouldn't go off and go have fun. I'd go do summer stock. So after my junior year of high school, I go and I do. Um, Williamstown Theater Festival. And after my senior year, I'm obviously pursuing commercials and trying to get work. So I wanted to go have some real life experience. I thought that would be valuable. And I wanted to go have some fun because I was a pretty serious teenager. And so I thought, oh, I went to look at Duke. And then I went over to UNC. And I don't know if you ever if you've ever been there in Chapel Hill, but it it truly is sort of the iconic. Uh, college uh, town and campus. And so I thought, oh, I want to do that. And really, between you, and me, and everyone who's listening, I was so influenced by the movie Animal House, I wanted to have some crazy experience like that. <laughs> so I went and I had that crazy experience, and to the detriment of all my classmates, because I knew I was going to be an actor, so I didn't really give a crap about my grades. And after about a year, and and some hallucinogens i thought oh this isn't me this isn't where i I, I, can't, I can't i gotta get serious and and i realized they had a they had a good theater program but i just felt like that i needed i needed to be in a more serious environment and i also knew that i had a lot of deficits i i thought oh i, I want to be able to play Lear when i'm 60 or 70 i should probably get some classical training and and in that that week's sunday times magazine had a the whole magazine or the front page of the magazine was an article about Juilliard and Yale. And so many of my favorite actors had gone to Juilliard or they'd gone to Yale, but Yale was a graduate school. And I was, you know, I was still, I was in the beginning of my sophomore year of college. So, um, I thought, OK, I'll apply to Juilliard. And I'd never really thought about it before. But and I called them up and they said, well, you've you've missed the you've missed the audition and uh, or the not the audition. You've missed the application deadline. And there was this magical thing that had just been invented called Federal Express. And I said, if I can get it to you overnight, will you look at it? And they said, sure. And I got the audition and I didn't really know that people. Had I known that so many people wanted to go there and that it was hard to get into, I might have had a different experience. But I thought, oh, if I get an audition, I'm sure I'll get in. And I got an audition and I got in and and spent four surprisingly spent four years there.
1: And you you do you end up graduating at Juilliard, correct?
2: I did. I did end up graduating, um, which to my surprise, because I left I did Memphis Bell at the Right after my second year at Juilliard, I went off in the summer and missed a few months of school, and usually they frowned upon that. You you weren't allowed to leave and come back, but they allowed me to leave and and come back, and I did finish, and um, uh, and I'm glad glad I did. At the time, it was – I would say Juilliard has has gone through a lot of iterations, and it's it's truly evolved, and and I meet younger uh, actors who've who've gone through the program, and it's a much – kinder more modern program when i was there it was there was a real element of a marine corps boot camp um there was a lot of breaking down and and not always a lot of building back up Mm. but uh but in retro only recently in the last few years i've 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 i really appreciate what i did get out of it and the things that i sought from that school i i i got um it's funny I, i always say that Joss Whedon and and the Whedon family are determined to make me use my Juilliard education Um, because uh, (laughs) I I did this. I did this. uh, uh, Well, so about five years ago or whatever, I'm saying to my wife, I go, I don't know why the. F. I I went to Juilliard because I'm never, ever going to do Shakespeare again. And then I don't, it was probably less than a week later, I get an email from Josh saying, Hey, I'm going to make a movie of Much Ado About Nothing. Would you like to be in it? <laughs> and uh, so uh, I was certainly glad that I'd had the, the, the Juilliard training when we made that movie.
1: So it's safe to say that without Juilliard, you don't think you'd be where you are today?
2: You know... <sighs> I'm at a point in my life where I'm doing a lot of backward looking and you're looking through decisions that you've made and what you would have done and done differently. I don't know. Mm. Um, you go down the path, you go down. I'm glad I went there. I made great friends. Um, and, but I had there, I don't necessarily think it's a necessary step, um, in your development as an actor to go to a drama school. Um, I got. But but I asked I asked a very specific thing of it. I said, I want to I want to not be intimidated by Shakespeare or Chekhov or any classical text or any playwright. And I got that out of it. So um, I'm glad I went. Um, I, al- I do wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and wonder what what would have been different had I not gone. But this is this is this is the you know, the riddle of existence.
1: Yeah, and and I I don't, you know, I don't know how, and I say this to a lot of the actors I have on, I don't know how anybody can stand in front of other people, never mind remembering Shakespeare, which is a language in itself. You know, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how you could stand on a stage and not get, I mean, I, I literally think I'd pass out if I was on stage in front of that many people having to learn Shakespeare. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. I think it's, I think it's very impressive. Do you act? I I do not act. Um I okay. but I'm a fan of acting in movies and film, but I just sometimes put myself in like so like if like if you were in a in a show, I'd say, you know, if if I was to be an actor, I I, don't, I could never do that. Or if I was to be on stage, I don't know how people how actors do it. I don't to me cuz there's so much like so if you're you're in a, a ton of great TV shows, like if you have a bad right. take, you could you could step back and they could reset. If you have a bad take on stage, there's no net there to catch you. Like to me that's just thinking about right. that is horrifying
2: right it's so interesting i mean i think I truly think this is what this was what defines a professional in any field right because it's you know if you're if you're a police officer you or a am, you know ambulance driver or a fireman or whatever you have to act under pressure if you're a teacher you have to perform with 30 crazy kids screaming at you. You have to be able to handle it in that situation. And I always think about acting. I think what separates a professional actor from someone who just sits in their house and goes, well, I could do that. I think you can do that under optimal circumstances. I think acting, I think a lot of people can act. I think you you see movies all the time where you'll get just a natural or or, or an everyday person who turns in an amazing performance. But I think what separates a professional from uh, uh, an amateur or someone who who thinks they can do it is that you have to be able to do it under the worst possible circumstances with everyone waiting on you. The time's running out, the light's running out, and you've got to get it done. And but I think if you look in and I think people thrive on that. So stage, I mean, I, I will be quite honest. I, you know, I've been doing this for over professionally for over 30 years. I'm always terrified, right? I'm always, ter- anytime I go on stage, I'm always terrified right before I walk out. And I do a lot of, um, for the last 20 years, I've done a lot of improv, a lot of improv comedy. So oftentimes I'm going to walk out on stage and I don't even, I'm going to do a whole show and I don't know what I'm going to do mm. until I get out there. But I think people you know you thrive on that. And um and and, and that's what that's what makes you I guess designed for whatever job you you choose you feel no pressure i mean i certainly you know i think you know you look at athletes i'm always as an actor you watch athletes perform and you think oh my god how do they do that you know how do you pitch mm. in the big game you know with everybody watching you but the ones who are who are successful at it or um don't feel that pressure or thrive on whatever that that adrenaline rush is
1: yeah and you have a really good sense of humor and i I wish more of your roles kind of would display that because you you are really a funny guy I I, I, i followed you on twitter and i was kind of looking through some of your tweets and you had this gif of uh the hulk uh fighting a bear and he's throwing the bear i don't know if you remember this tweet and i could not stop laughing like you're a really funny guy but it's too bad that a lot of your roles don't allow you to show that sense of humor
2: you know, it's a funny thing. You, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, the the conversations it, we have a theme today of, of the of the path you've took and the path not taken. Mm. And it's interesting because when I first started out as a, uh, when I f- what first excited me about being an actor was all of the insecurities and the not coolness that I felt. Uh, personally, I could put on stage, I could play that guy and be lauded for it. Right? right. You could be the, the nerd or the dweeb or the guy who wasn't confident. And that was funny or interesting and people liked it. And, and I started when I first started out, especially in high school, I did a lot more comedy. We do, um, uh, another actor, a friend of mine, uh, who, who Carlos Jaycott and I, we were in high school together and we would always, we would write Monty Python themed sketches or you know, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook's theme sketches and perform them. And we did a lot of comedy and then somewhere, I can't tell if it was the path of least resistance or some sort of ego took over and suddenly I was like, Oh, I want to be cool. I want to do some drama. I want to be cool. I mean, and I think that's where the cop thing came from. I want to be, because certainly now, um, I play characters who are infinitely more, um, grown up, mm. um, formidable, uh, competent than I am. It's funny. I, I was dropping my kid off at school and one of the parents was saying, was watching, I guess, designated survivor. And they go, well, you seem much older on TV. And I go, well, yes, because you've never seen me not in shorts and a t-shirt, but on <laughs> TV, I play a grown up. I put suits on and, um, so, yeah, but uh, so then what happens in in this business is you start going down, you you, you know, you, you go down a groove and I started doing a lot of drama. I started and I enjoyed it and it was also challenging for me. And I thought, oh, this is great. And then suddenly you're the drama guy. And then to switch gears um, uh, would have would have taken probably more effort than I at the time that I wanted to put into it. And, and I was still doing a lot of, I was starting to do a lot of comedy. It's an interesting thing. Um, so I was doing all this drama. I, was, I moved to Los Angeles, I'm doing different shows. And then I befriended some, some people, f- uh, from this great theater, um, that's in Chicago and they open up one in Los Angeles called the improv Olympic and all these amazing talented comedians. I mean, you know, a lot of them now, like Neil Flynn and Dave keckner and, um, and, uh, well, I mean, so many people came from that, um, mm. uh, from that amazing theater who are now have their own TV shows and gone on to Saturday Night Live and 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 uh, incredibly, not only incredibly talented, funny people, but in just really good quality people. And so I started, I started uh, uh, taking classes there and then started doing shows. And it was the greatest thing because I, for the first 10 years of my on camera career, I, get, I was very sort of neurotic about it. I would, I would start stress over i'd stay in character all day long and i would overthink things and it was it was starting to get really um just not fun and then w- w- the the gift that the studying improv uh and comedy improv but studying improv uh, gave me was the the, the room it reminded me that it's a child's game and it's you're playing pretend and you're using your imagination and it's not always it doesn't need to be as hard and complicated as i was making it and because i realized you know i can get a phrase or a word and do a 45 minute show based on that and that opened up some of my on-camera work because i go okay well we got five takes of this let's do them all differently let's let's plan less and let's discover more and that's always um been more fun but but still i couldn't you know i couldn't get on a comedy show and and it's funny because then i did this show called journeyman um, about ten years ago, in two thousand and seven, and the creator of that show was thought, "Oh, you're you know you're funny, you're so funny off camera." And so then a few years later, he created the show Franklin and Bash, and he mm. just offered me the parts. He's he's I want people to know that you're funny as well. <laughs> um, of course, I played the straight man on that show, but uh, <laughs> but so I'm still uh, uh, I'm still harboring uh, comedy dreams. So I could so see you like
1: and this is like I mean having like I watch so I try to like I I, I just jump in and immerse myself in films and history. Right. I, I love it. And I could so see you in, like, a hangover-type movie. You know, the guy who looks so professional, <laughs> and then when the shit hits, the fan just goes nuts. Like, I could see you perfectly in one of those roles, like the dentist or something. Like, that's so you. But, you know, we talk about we talk about paths here and a lot of reflection, right. and, I, and I love yeah. that kind of talk. So when you do look back, right, is there – and it's so healthy to do that – is there – Anything that you regret or is there anything where you're like, you know what? I'm happy with all the choices I've made.
2: You know, I mean, I I wouldn't change anything because I have an amazing life and I have an amazing family. Um, So I always go if you had done one thing differently, you might not have ended up where you did. And I have a great career and and it's and it's ongoing and and spectacular. and, And but I think. I'll give you a twofold answer. When people come up to me and they go, how do I get started in the business? And I always say, well, things have changed. Make your own product. Define yourself. Mm. And and that's, and what they say, you know, when you, the advice you give is the advice you need to hear. And that's, that's the one thing I wish I'd, I'd gotten. I was a little more entrepreneurial early on and had created my own work and created my own path because it's so amazing. I mean, you with your iPhone, you can make a movie right now, right? <laughs> right? And or with your computer and GarageBand, you can make an album. Or send and, an or,
1: or send in an audition overnight or send an audition to somebody 2 minutes away. Exactly. Like, like if you're going for a part. Yeah. So that's a great point. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So I wish I would generated more I mean, I I always say I've been uh, I've been cursed or blessed with moderate success. Things have always sort of worked out. I've never I've never had another job in my entire life. Mm. I've earned a living as an actor since I was 16. Um, And now at this point, I'm I'm taking that on my own advice and and trying to generate, you know, I've written a few as everyone does. I've written some screenplays and pilots and and trying to uh, create my own content. And but. And in the meantime, the shows come along and you you do, uh, you know, you work on television and you work in the movies. And and, uh, I mean, I have a great life. So I I, I wouldn't change anything, but I wish I'd just been a little more motivated early on.
1: Yeah. And this is uh, not to get cheesy, but this is the season where it seems like many of the movies on TV, Christmas Carol, whatever, where paths you've chosen versus the paths you could have taken. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just so interesting to look at that. You know, Reed, is there a person you, th- a mentor, a person you th- you are grateful that you had in your life, and kind of, I don't want to say you know, give them credit for where you are, but you know, have contributed significantly to where you are?
2: There's no question. The I was very uh, beyond lucky to have the most amazing uh, high school drama teacher. Mm. Um, uh, a man named Michael Gilbert. And what happened, I went to this school in New York City, it's called the Trinity School. And when I started high school, he started teaching there. And he taught me truly everything I needed to know. Everything I needed to know as an actor and that I still sort of rely on, I learned from him. And and he also had big a big vision for high school students. We did amazing productions. We're doing The Crucible and we're doing big musicals. And, and it was funny because he always would sort of um, drive home that we needed to be professional and what it took to be a professional actor and how you had to comport yourself and conduct yourself. And it was interesting because then I go, I did my first summer at Williamstown at Summerstock working with great, you know, actors from the theater and from film. And and I was like, oh, they're they're not quite as professional as you told us we needed to be. But um so, but I, I learned, so everything I needed to learn that he, he took me under his wing and taught me so much and gave me so many opportunities to do great parts and great plays. And I, and I, I, I think about him often and I think about him as I prepare for parts. And I, I've had other great mentors along the way. Um, I've had, had great teachers at, at Juilliard and, and subsequently. Um, but certainly Michael Gilbert, I, I, I owe him. I owe him, I think, my career choice and career path.
1: Yeah, man, that's a really special thing to hear. You know, yeah. you, you listen, you listen to people, and and that's what one of the things I'm blessed with. I get to hear all these paths that actors take, and it's yeah. it's so surprising the names I hear when I ask that question. And he's obviously a very special person to you. But let me ask you this: so, yeah. so Reed, Let me. So, okay, I want to be an actor. Give me, okay. a, give me a piece of it. Give me one. If I had to know one thing. I know you said something earlier about creating your own brand, and that all makes sense.
2: you not even your own brand, but creating your own product. Like if you are, you know, if you have a vision of the type of work you want to do, right? You make it, or you find a bunch of people who can help you make it and realize, you know, get your creative community and create your project. But go ahead. So I'm interrupted. You. And
1: that makes that makes total sense. So yeah, give me something from a tactical or a technical point of view where. I need to know this because without this kind of knowledge, I probably, and I know there's not like one umbrella. I get that. But give me, a, give me one thing that, you know, I would really need to know before kind of going f- down the road with my career in acting.
2: Okay. Um, I have, a, I have a couple, but I'm going to pick one. Okay. I, th- I think, I think maybe perhaps cause it came from the theater and I've worked with a lot of ensembles and groups I think there's two ways to approach acting there's, and you'll encounter this. And I I think this is, I think this is universally true. There's two types of actors. There's where I'm going to be the best. And by making sure I dominate and keep everyone down. And then there's the other one where we all rise together. And, and I really do believe that one plus one can equal infinity. So if you, instead of me coming in with my plan of how I'm going to do the scene and making sure everyone sort of um, adheres to my vision, I'm going to come in with a piece and you're going to come in with a piece and we're going to play together in that scene. And we're going to, we're going to work together and we're going to make it better than we ever thought it could be. I always feel like what you the surprise or the thing you discover in the scene is much more important is much better and much more interesting than anything you could have thought of at home Mm. before you got to work and um and i so i think play well with others and understand that it's it's not a solo gig now i know a lot of people are super successful really just like looking out for number one but I the actors that I love are the guys who come to and the guys in the, and I by guys, I'm, you know, whatever gender that you are, right. um, the, who, the people, the actors who come to play. And that's what I like because um, I like to come with my ideas. I like, the way I always view acting is I go, my job is to lay, do my preparation is me walking to the top of the ski run or taking the chairlift up. I'm going to the top of the run. And then when we do action, when someone's, when they call action, now we're just going on the run and we don't know what it's going to be like. And so I want to leave all of my homework at home knowing that it's, it's, it's in me and now we're going to play together because that's my favorite thing. My favorite part is even on a play, you're talking about um, your, your terror if something goes wrong. That's the best. When things mm. go wrong, I remember a buddy and I – he had a theater down in Nashville, Tennessee, and he said, I want, and we'd gone to Juilliard together, and he said, I want us to do Speed the Plow, the, the David Mamet play. And I said, great, let's do it. But we only had three weeks to put it together. And it's just that 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 dialogue, it's it's a bear. It's massive. Mm. But I I knew we could do it. And I remember the first night we were performing it, and it was this beautiful theater in Nashville. And I think we're just like a page in. And... He messed up a line and we just sort of stopped and we looked at each other and I could see the twinkle in each other's eyes and we're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and whatever that was, it just grounded us. And that was just sort of, then the rocket ship took off and that's, that's, and when you know... When you know you're out there with somebody who's got your back, it's really exciting. I mean, that's, you know, and that's obviously the theater. That's that's one thing because it's happening. You can't get off that ride. But you know, when you work on camera, it's and I, and I know this I've, I've taken a long way to answer your question about what I think is important for an actor to know. But I do think it's play well with others. And the better you make the other person look. And this is something I certainly learned from improv and all the people at the Improv Olympic the better you make your partner look the better you look and so if because obviously when you're filming something it's it's a it's a very specific process where you you have some shots where you're together and then you have shots that are your singles and I love to give people on their for when I'm off camera for their coverage give them some change it up so to surprise them if if they're into that and I certainly love that I love to be surprised because it gets you out of your, your head, your, your, your sort of your, your, your thoughtful cognitive brain. And it gets you deeper into feeling and to really being there. And that's, those, those are the actors I like. And those are the scenes I like. I, I want, I don't want to see acting. I want to see something real and surprising happening in front of me. And that's the goal. And, and I, I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not achievable all the time, but that would be. The one thing that I would encourage young actors or any actor to do.
1: Yeah, that's really well thought out. Read it, and and I have to ask you because a few of the actors I've had on before do teach acting. Have you ever taught acting to anyone or a group of people?
2: <laughs> the only yeah, t- I've taught, I've taught uh, improv comedy at my daughter's school, um, which is the best because teaching I've taught it to fourth and fifth graders and third. Uh, well, actually. I guess, yeah, third through fifth graders. And they're amazing because yeah. they're so talented. And it was it was funny because I, I, I was more nervous than they were because I wanted to. And uh, but they're are They haven't gotten messed up yet. Mm. And so even the kids who are never going to do any maybe acting or pursue it in any way the, their imaginations. And, and that's an acting teacher once told me. Uh, and I've always kept this with me He goes, it's a child's game what you're doing acting is a child's game played at an adult level and that's what it is it's pretend because i remember that's where you know because i as i said earlier i got really i got a little too neurotic i got a little too in my head for a long time and um and that's my own fault you know taking in the bad information. But I remember when you're a kid, if someone said to you, we're doing a scene, you go, you're the queen of England. You go, okay, I'm the queen of England. You wouldn't go, oh, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. I'm going to have to do a lot of research on who the <laughs> queen of England is, right? There's something, you, you excite that imagination. Now, of course, research is really important and I love it. I love doing it, but it's, at the, at the, at its most fundamental, what you're doing is an imaginative creative art. It's not an intellectual art. And, um, and I use the term art very loosely, but, um, uh, craft maybe is a better word. But so, um, um, so yes, I, I I've only taught children. I mean, I, uh, I, I don't know how good a teacher I would be. Um, cause I, but, uh, I like thinking about it and I, and you know, talking about it under this context, I don't really try to talk about acting too much. Um, I talk about it with my wife cause she's a f- infinitely better actress, um, actor than I am. She's, she has a, 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 she started even younger than I did. And she's, 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 she's my, um, don't go to drama school, um, example because she's someone, I don't, she didn't even finish high school cause she was already starting her professional career and she's got more technique than, and more, uh, she, her facility with, Accents and, and character and uh, movement is it rivals anyone who's gone to 27 years of a, a conservatory drama school. So, um, but she's the one I talk uh, acting with because mostly she's just telling me to stop acting and and be more real.
1: Yeah, and I have to ask you, um, what is your wife and your daughter's reaction when they see you, you know, in a movie or they see you in a television show? Is it oh, there's just dad going to work, or is it like, wow, you were really great today, dad? Or Honey, I th- yeah, my- <laughs> you were spectacular last night on, on you know, uh, on this show. Like, how, how do they react to that?
2: Well, I mean, with my wife, I mean, obviously she's the person whose opinion matters the most to me in the entire world. And she's tough. I mean, I always now in this day and age you were talking about, you can put your auditions on tape. I always do it with her. She's an amazing off off screen actor. But also she goes, that was bullshit. What you just did was so fake. <laughs> she's like, you can do better. So she's, she's really good. But, um, so when she watches, you know, if she likes something I do, um, uh, I, I know it's, I know, I know it's something worthwhile. I know I did a, uh, I, I know I did a good job. She's the only opinion that I really care about. Um, and with my daughter, it's funny because, um, we're a protective little family. I'll just tell you a funny story. I took her to, I, I don't, I mean, she's three at the most. And I took her to the set of Franklin and Bash. And she's always been a very, you know, composed, just present, mature young lady. So she, she's sitting in Video Village, which is where all the sort of director's chairs are around the monitor, where the director is and and the, all, all the producers and writer. And, and um, the key grip um, I, I, I do a scene where it's just me walking into a scene, and um, the key grip, just as a joke, turns to my daughter and he goes, <laughs> "I think he could have had more energy in that scene." And she turns him, she goes, "His energy was just fine." <laughs> and, and so we do a second take, and and she and, and we do the take, and then she turns, and like, see his energy was great. <laughs> so uh, we're a very supportive family. Um, I mean, certainly I think she's going to go into the uh, family business at some point. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't know why I thought two actors would make a brain surgeon, but um, <laughs> two actors seem to have made an actor, um, but yeah, and she's, and she, there's not much that I do that she can watch, but um, anything that I, that she can, that I'll, I'll, I'll show her. And she's very, but yes, yeah, it's just dad's job, and you know it's fun to bring her to set. I brought her to set on Designated Survivor this year, and she can just handle herself and walk around and talk and go to Video Village. And uh, but she was she was hitting me up for a part, and I'm like, baby, this these we'll, we'll find you a good part.
1: And let me ask you, so I, and this is kind of I was going to ask you another question, but then I just thought of this while we were we we're talking. Yeah. So so say you have a down moment, and you know you're like I said, you have a great sense of humor. What's a movie you throw in or, or turn on iTunes if you ever want a good laugh? What's a comedy – what's your go-to if you ever have a moment where you know you want to watch it with your daughter or laugh or unwind? Is there a, a, a go-to comedy movie for you?
2: Oh, that's really good. Okay, well um... – the go-to, which I just turned her on, is not a movie, but it's it's the series of Faulty Towers. So if if I if I need to, I mean, I think Faulty Towers is the most beautifully, perfectly constructed television comedy of all time. And uh, so I turned her on. She loved Faulty Towers just as much. Um, and uh, so I definitely, if I need a good laugh, I always put on Faulty Towers. I also any any of the Money Pythons. Um, and um, how about Peter you
1: know? Sellers? Are you a Peter Sellers guy?
2: I am a Peter Sellers guy. It's funny. I'm just about to introduce her to all of that. I think this will, the holidays are always a good time to go through um, movies together and, and yeah so so yes Peter Sellers is great and uh, but uh, Faulty Towers is my go to when I really 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 need to laugh right right
1: good call and and you know for those of you listening um, Reed plays John Forstel on on Designated Survivor and I guess my next question and this is what I really was curious about you know when was the first time when you were on set and you kind of were, were like starstruck you were like holy cow I'm actually here or whole holy cow, let me pinch myself to, to, to make sure this is really happening.
2: You know, I've been starstruck a lot. I've got I've gotten to work with a lot of really good actors. I mean, it's funny because sometimes I, I've been and, – and that's what you're asking about, working opposite somebody or just yes. being part of the process. Or,
1: um, either or, I guess. Whatever's – yeah, either or. Yeah, I mean both are great.
2: I mean – I mean, I started out. It was it was pretty de- much downhill from the beginning because I started out. My first movie was this movie Memphis Belle, and I worked with all these actors that I was so I thought were so cool and I was so into. Um, I was a huge Eric Stoltz fan and DB Sweeney and Matthew Modine, and we're all in this movie together. And I remember for the first we uh, it was just this incredible experience. So you, you, they hired you know, ten American actors and they shipped us over to London. So I'm I'm 21 years old and I'm going over to london i'm with all these actors who i'm just like really in awe of and it was funny because we would go around to our different fittings and meetings and stuff and they had this bus for us and i remember for the first week i didn't even speak i was so nervous and so (laughs) intimidated and and then (laughs) and then they sent us off to boot camp uh, and it was a real boot camp. It was interesting because the only other movie that had done boot camp before then was Platoon. And Dale Dye led their boot camp. And it was a pretty serious boot camp. But this one was led by a bunch of ex-SAS and Royal Marine guys. And I don't think that they knew that we needed to be ready on camera at the end of that because a few guys almost didn't make it out mm. and alive. But uh, but by then, I, I, I started cracking jokes. It and and from then on, I I never shut up. That was always the, the, Eric. Eric always says we we thought you were mute, and then we couldn't shut you up. And um, <laughs> but uh, so I was very starstruck. But I, you know, and then I did a movie. My first. It was funny because I, I finally got to sort of come full circle on this. I remember I did a I did a movie with Jessica Lang called O Pioneers back in the early '90s, and I was really I thought she was the greatest living actress oh, she's at, great. At the time. yeah and i was and i was really intimidated and i hadn't quite developed that muscle which i now i just come on no matter what it is knowing that i might be nervous because nerves are always a part of it i call it especially when i you guest star on so many shows or you join so many different shows i call it a thousand first days of school and that's what it is i mean you oh, have that's to a good, come
1: that's a good way of looking at it i, I like that yeah
2: uh, yeah, it's it's a thousand first days of school. So you're coming on, you're meeting all new people and you're, you're, what do they think of me? What do I think of them? Like, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to navigate personalities and do your work and sort of present yourself the way you want to be presented. And it was funny. So I did I work with Jessica and I was, I was very intimidated and I hadn't developed sort of that bravado or not even bravado, just sort of now I just come on, I'm like just open and go up to everybody and hug everybody and just sort of. Create an intimacy as quickly as you can because that's what you need because you need to feel safe to do your work It it, I'll tell you an anecdote Um, do are you familiar with the actor charles durning? Yes Amazing actor amazing. amazing amazing guy an amazing man. So this is a guy who like he landed at D-Day. He was wounded three times in the Second World War. And they were just – he bayoneted, machine gunned, and then kept going back to fight. Right. So this is a man, right? This is a, This is a guy who's been through real things. So he comes and he guest stars on an episode of Homicide. And he has to deliver this speech. And I'm sitting right next to him. And he delivers it on the first take. And it's just mesmerizing. It's so good. And he delivers it, second take, different and equally just – Uh, I'm just, just in awe. And, and after the third take, he goes, all right, I think that one was okay. And I go, (laughs) I go, I go, I go, go, so it never goes away, does it? He goes, nope, it never goes away. And he was like, I was worried if you guys were going to like me and, and think I'm good. And I, that's what I said. So it never goes away. And so that was a great lesson. So now knowing that, you just got to rush in. So I worked with Jessica. I didn't speak. And then finally, last year, a year and a half ago, I did that feud show, the Ryan Murphy show, and and I played her boyfriend. And and now I was, I'm an adult, and we were able to talk and laugh and and uh, and, and not be. I mean, I I was scared to say hello to her the <laughs> first time we worked together, but um, you know, it's an interesting thing, and I I've thought about this too. There's a certain onus um, of making people feel comfortable, and this goes back to that conversation we had earlier about what one piece of advice. Um, and there are actors who really thrive on making people feel uncomfortable and because it, it, it sort of serves their ends and, uh, not to sound too sinister, but, uh, and then there's actors who understand and make you feel comfortable right away. And I've had two great experiences in situations where I could have been well, three, but where I could have been really intimidated. And I, the first one was right after I made that movie with Jessica Lang, I made another movie with Joanne Woodward. And, um, and Joanne Woodward was just an incredible actress and obviously was married to Paul Newman, but she was a humongous star. And as he said, she was the good actor in the family. And I remember I, I showed up to the first read through and she just met me in the hallway of the hotel and she's wrapped me in her arms and said, Reed, we're so glad you're doing this. That was it. Mm. That was it. I felt instantly comfortable. Cut to 10 years more later, I'm doing, I'm going to do a, a fitting for Good Night and Good Luck. And George Clooney comes over and he's like, Reed. And he just grabs me a big hug. I'd never met him before. I just auditioned on tape. And he goes, Reed, I'm so glad you're doing this movie. And I'm like, that's it. That's all it takes. Wow. Because he, he, understand, he understands the power and the intimidation and that you need to feel comfortable to do your work. And, and he's like that with everybody. And so was Joanne. And, and, uh, and that's, it's an important, it's important to know, um, the effect you have. I mean, certainly on television, it's you, you always say like, there's number, you know about the call sheet, right? There's right, right. Right. So number one on the call sheet is the is is the is the star of the show. Right. And they set the tone. And it's interesting to work with um, when I did the West Wing, Martin Sheen talked to me about it at length and he said, it's really important. You know, my job here is to set the tone. And he said it brilliantly. He was the president on and off screen. And, um, and sometimes you'll work on shows where number one doesn't quite understand the power they have and how they can create the, the atmosphere on the set. And, um, because I, I think now I've learned because I have so many first days of school, I've learned how, and I'm a guy and I like a challenge. I can, I can do my work under a sort of prickly situation or a, I like I like it sometimes when the director will say right before the take like don't mess up you know some sort of macho thing right but I think for the most part people do their best work when they feel comfortable and feel supported and that goes back to you know what we've been the other theme we've been talking about today so there you go
1: yeah and and those are some great points and you know your your body of work is so eclectic. You know, I, I have a friend Jim who's a total fan of yours. He loved you in Me and he loved you in, you know, uh Ghost Whisperer, mentalist. Like you're so <laughs> you're so right. eclectic and that's that speaks volumes and I have such an elementary question for you because I've mean, going yeah. through your filmography. Do you prefer I'm almost embarrassed to ask this. Do you no. prefer is it harder or easier to be a villain versus a hero or a, a good guy? Because I know you've kind of played on both sides of that. Is one <laughs> is one easier? Because I've heard actors say they love the villain. I've had one. I've had actors that say they, they they prefer to be the the good guy. How about you? Is it does it matter, or is it just you know what? It's still the script and whatever it is. I'll I'll do what I have to do.
2: I'll give you an answer that is, uh, has two parts. One's artistic and one is career and practical. Okay. So artistically the villain is so much fun, right? The villain is my favorite because you get to behave in a way. I mean, I'm a very sort of nice, uh, genial guy, right? Very Mm. earnest, very sincere, polite, but the villain, you get to, behave in a way that I would never behave in my real life. And it's so exciting and it's fun to do where you can just dismiss people and be evil and, and adhere to your basis, basis instincts, right? So acting wise, it's just juicy and it's fucking fun. Right. right. But, but from a career point of view, villain always going to die. So that's That's (laughs) always going to die. And so I've played a lot of bad guys, but there's, you know, that phone calls coming where your character is going to die. Right. So, um, the good guy is fun, um, because you get to stay around a lot longer.
1: Yeah, The Walking Dead is just the opposite because the moral compass of the of the show always gets killed. The one person that says, "You know what? Let's give these people a chance" is always the one that dies. So it's just the <laughs> right. opposite of what you're saying. Right. Um, so designated survivor, huge cast, right? You work with right. with Kiefer, who I imagine is a pretty decent guy. Like he seems oh, like a, yeah. 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 And and you're on this set, and it just seems like just going through this today, Reed. Is there are there a lot of people more people on set with a show like that than other shows like is it or is it just different times that you you have that influx of people in other words when you're on set is it like is it are there more people on set with a show like Designated Survivor versus other shows you've been on or is it kind of the same kind of set environment as as other shows
2: I guess it depends. I mean, you know, certain shows you have a very, you know, a small cast, but now there's a lot of ensemble shows. And what's always interesting about ensemble shows is you're you, the never the twain shall meet you very often. You'll just get into a, a certain cycle with a certain actor and you won't see the rest of the cast, except in the makeup and hair trailer. Um, I mean, it's a big cast. Everyone's really nice on that one. I've, I've now because I've been there for a while and my character has gone through many iterations. I've I've had the good fortune to get to work with everybody and there's a lot of cool actors on that show and that's a lot of fun um but you're just a parent, you know you just you you go in your little orbits i'm trying to think of like different shows who do you end up working with um it's a big cast but and it's got a lot of guest stars but it's it's sort of an epic show it's it's a big network show and they've got the money to have that many people around obviously you know on on in different genres, you have a uh, smaller cast, but I'm trying to think, I mean, on am Franklin and bash. We were always, it was the boys and then there'd be me and Malcolm. And then you'd have whoever your guest stars were. So I guess that was a smaller world and um, it just depends. But yeah, this is a big world this is the white house. You need a lot. Of, there's a sure. lot of moving pieces. Yeah.
1: How do you like the idea versus like film, the idea of rotating directors? I had an actor on one time that when they had one director that, that, that kept, I think he came on like every fourth or fifth episode just, you know, randomly. The, the cast hated him because he was very high stress, high maintenance. And they, they worked, they still were professional, but they could not take, he was just too much for them. And for other directors, most of the other directors, they found that, you know, the set was very, you know, it was very, pe- I don't want to say peaceful, very mm-hmm. passive. It was comfortable. People were 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 in their own, you know, environment. Right. Do you do you find that to be the case? Have you ever been like, especially you know, versus like a movie where you pretty much have one main director. I know there's sometimes there's like assistant directors and so forth, but like, do you ever find yourself like in a situation where, and not not recently, but ever, where there's a director where it's like, okay, I get what you want, but it's maybe a little bit more high pressure than other directors. You have to get you used to a lot of personalities
2: it, too. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's a very uh, the director cast, the director crew relationship is a very powerful and important relationship. Now, I mean, movies are, are, are obviously in t- TV, you always have different directors and you'll have a bunch of set directors who, you know, come around a lot. the the producing directors, but of course you have your favorites and, and you have people who you get along with better because of your own personality or how they understand the show. And then you get through every once in a while, somebody you can't wait to see the ass of. Right. And that's, that's the nature of, it. but you also, you, that's you, but that's, I think that's true in it, probably in any profession, but certainly in, in any job on a set, you've got actors who are like, ah, okay. Or you've got some crew guy who needs to go or whatever. But I mean, I imagine, you know, if you're, if you're working at the, you know, the Hormel chili factory, you've got some, you know, some managers you like and some managers you hate. So, um, but I think d- the director is, can, uh, it's hard to, you know, it's such an intangible because a great director, because you're, the, you're, you're the voice, you're the person that everyone comes, you're the person that everyone comes to. And sorry, that was I got a text message. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm on my computer. Um, you're the person that everyone comes to and you have to have an answer and you have to, more than even. In many ways, the, we we're talking about the first person on the call sheet. The director has, sets a tone. Now, now sometimes on a show, a director can be passing through and they have much less power. TV is an interesting place. But you want someone who's talented, who's confident and who oh god this now now i've i realize i'm giving much too short an answer to this it's an intangible there are so many great directors out there and i've had the great good fortune to work with a lot of them and i work with a lot of them over and over again because those are the guys who work all the time and they come on other shows i mean i'm just now on design survivor i'm thinking about i've worked with one of my favorite directors Milan Shaylov, who came and did this, and I worked with him on twenty four and I've worked with him on agents of shield and um But for the most part, I think these you have great experiences and um certainly I'm also at an age and I've been doing this long enough that very rarely um, can a director uh uh get in my way or, uh, or, or really has anything, you know, um, but positive stuff, um, to contribute to the experience. But yeah, you get, you can get, you can get a shithead actor (laughs) in there. You get a shithead director and and, uh, you just want those eight days to be done, but it's not even that you want those eight days to be done. That was a little glib. You, You, cause I mean, at least for me, you always want it to be the best it can possibly be. Um, and so you want an actor, you want an actor who wants to be there and really wants to make the scenes great. You obviously want, I mean, obviously the most important part of anything that we do is you need, you need to have a great script to begin with. So you want great writers who understand character and understand story and and then you want to work with actors who understand how to, you know, in, interpret that, and and, and you want a, a wardrobe designer who understands character and costume. You, you want you know you want a great DP who understands how to tell the story through the shot, and you want a director, especially um, you know on TV, you have these set directors for shows who there could be producing directors or guys who pretty much are heavy in the rotation, and then you have people who come through. So the people come through, you want them to add a little, you know. A different flavor or a little spice, but understand that they're not gonna reinvent the wheel. That that this is the this is a this this is this ship is moving and you're not gonna, you know, turn the course of it in, in the middle of the ocean.
1: Yeah, and I don't understand, Reed. Maybe you can help me out with this. Why don't they just use one director or maybe two tops? Like why does it have to be this rotation? <laughs> because-
2: Cause it's not, cause a director isn't just directing the scene. The director has to spend e- equal amount of time preparing to shoot. And then after the fact they're editing. So, um, there's no way they can back to back edit. We don't even, on most shows, you don't even have the same director of photography do two episodes in a row. They alternate as well. Um, okay. the camera, you know, the director of photography. Um, so, uh, it's just too much work. Um, now, I mean, obviously, uh, you look at something really cool, like, say, Stranger Things, and obviously the Duffer brothers will do maybe the first two or sometimes more episodes. But that's probably because they were able to shoot them together, and then they, maybe they do the last two. And certainly on a show like Designated Survivor, this year our producing director is Chris Grismer, and, and he's doing – he's, I don't know if we do 22 episodes, right? He's probably doing eight and and usually they'll do the big ones. They'll do the first two. They'll do the last two, and somewhere in the middle. Um, but it's just it's too much work. It's too much work for anyone. There's not enough time, and and so they can't. You you can't really in a big show, especially a big show like that where you're doing 22 episodes, have um, them alternate episodes. Obviously, on some of the on the 10 episode Netflix shows and the HBO shows, they can keep their pool a little smaller. And I and I certainly think that can be preferable because your creative vision doesn't get diluted.
1: So now you had to bring this up. So have you, are you up to date with stranger things?
2: Um, I am not finished. So don't, don't, no spoilers.
1: Okay. I won't won't say anything. (laughs) Um, it is, it is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It's so good. Um, but you know, by the way, Charles Durning fantastic in Dog Day Afternoon. You got me thinking oh about my that. God. Oh yeah. my. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um so so it really makes me sad like you know, when you talk about actors that are out for themselves, I hate that because that that happens in like any workplace, right? You have people sure. that could work together and make it a better product, which is like a lot like what you are. Like you're a very you're a team player, and then you have people that are out for themselves and almost love to see misery and i hate Mm -hmm. those kind of people i totally get that but but but, so let's progress through here you have agents of shield which you're which you're so good in and and it's such a popular show you know i have two questions for you one yes what do you think it is about comics that have exploded too because you're also in spider-man too but like what is it about this that has really gotten to the core of people and the second part of that is Have you ever been to, like, a? I think you have, but I'm not sure, a Comic-Con or, you know, something that featured a lot of these comic book movies or or artists or stories or actors? I guess that's a two-part question.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm in the I mean, I I don't know that I'm I'm a wise enough man to say what in the popular psyche why comic book movies are so popular. I think it's probably they're just the myths of our time, right? They tell the same stories in a different way. They Mm. um, I mean, they're they're the Olympian gods of 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 our childhoods. I mean, certainly, you know, you had your classical education and, and, uh, prior to comic books and, and, and certainly Stan Lee and all those guys were influenced by all those classic tales and, and incorporate them. And those iconic, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> those iconic, um, um, I wish I could just tell you what just happened through my window. Uh, but anyway, um, and so, you you know, you, you, so Shakespeare, you look at Shakespeare, right? Um, I spent most of the, because I had a lot of time on my own, I was up in Toronto and I reread as many of the Shakespeare plays as I pretended to have read back in my youth and really didn't. And, you know, he's, he's got all of that the, the, the Greek and the Roman gods and all those myths and all those stories, those icon- iconic. Joseph Campbell journey stories that are part of what, what, whatever is makes us up and, and tells us some something about human nature and about our existence and about our journey. And comic books tend to do that. But also, it's just fun to see people kick each other's asses <laughs> and beat up aliens. And um, and so uh, and it's great to see the Marvel verse come as far as it's come. And yeah. as detailed as it come, and now with all the crossovers, because I was a big, obviously, I still have all my comic books in the garage. I have all my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. comic. And I started following him when he was still in S- Strange Tales. And um, so... I, I love seeing that world come to life. I love the last Spider-Man was so great, mm. and and I mean just so they're really good. The Wonder Woman, I mean, Wonder Woman was hands down my favorite movie of the year. So bad. Um, she's so good, and she's so badass, and so beautiful, <laughs> and such a great actor. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, well, you know what I loved about that movie is sometimes. You just want to the, the the ass kicking, but those scenes, her and Chris Pine, I could watch those scenes. They were amazing. Yeah. It was just it was beautifully written, beautifully played. So, I mean, these are these are our myths right now, um, and they touch something. I mean, I. I, I uh, and, and I think that, you know, we, we get to also go through our morality tales of good and evil. You know, in the 50s and the 60s, it was the Western. The Western was the place to tell the morality tale, the tale that you couldn't tell. Right. So you can deal with. You can deal with McCarthyism in High Noon and you can, you know, and you can deal with McCarthyism in the Salem Witch Trials and the Crucible, but you can't you couldn't deal with it head on. Right. Right. And so Westerns did that. And then suddenly science fiction took that on. Suddenly we were able to deal with our concerns about the future and our concerns about politics in our sort of apocalyptic sci-fi movies of the 70s and the 80s and now especially because you've gotten people like Joss and uh the sm- smarter you know the smartest guys in the room writing these uh these movies now you're able to to bring in a lot m- more levels about where there, it's it's telling us something about ourselves. I mean, obviously, this whole the whole arc right now of the Marvel verse is like, you know, you you don't deserve your freedom. You can't handle freedom. Mm. Doesn't you know? The Robert Redford says that in Winter Soldier, whatever. You can't handle it. The whole idea that Shield was always Hydra, right? And um, so it, it and it, it reflects something about what's going on in our world in a safe place. And also, it's just a lot of fun. Um so I, I but that's i i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not smart enough to tell you exactly what that fulfills in us but I think that's why they take off i mean i for me i i it was such a joy i've always wanted to play a super uh a super villain i've always wanted to play a bad guy and uh and this brings us back to Julia because uh i say it's the Whedon family so jed and marissa you know who are who you know, are the Producer, executive producers, and creators of *On Shield*. When they invited me to play this part, they—it was funny because for about three weeks they kept calling. They go, "We can't tell you about it, but we're gonna—we're gonna offer you a part. We can't tell you about it." And then. about a a day before I had to start, they're like, okay, you got this part. You're going to play Dr. Whitehall, and can you do a German accent? This full circle to your question, have I gone to Comic-Con? So I'm going down to Comic-Con for Wayward Pines, and in the car I am listening to uh, German accents and trying to perfect my German accent on the way down to Comic-Con because I have to start shooting in two days. Um, But yeah, so I've gone, and I I love going to these conventions, though, because the people are so... Cool and yeah. so into everything, and uh obviously you've probably gone to a few, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love them. I mean, if if I can get a press pass to go to one, I love them. I, and I've gotten a yeah. few Boston Comic Con. I went to a couple other ones. I had a fifteen to twenty minute discussion with Tom Berenger. You know, I, I just oh, cool. I, yeah. I, I love it. You know, I mean, and I think yeah. do remember? Do you remember that old skit, Saturday Night Live skit, where and I brought this up before, where. Uh, William Shatner is talking to these Trekkie fans. He's like, "Get a life!" (laughs) Yeah, but we've come a long way since then, so uh, that's a good thing. And you know, and I'm looking here at your career, and I don't know. Have you ever seen a, a movie called The Lost City of Z? It's with um, it's so goddamn good. It's based on a true story about this guy looking for this. Tribe that that's, I know
2: exactly what you're talking about. It's funny. We just watched the preview two nights ago. It's it's a top of our list to watch. Probably watch this weekend.
1: Yeah. So it's my favorite. That and, and Wind River. Not that you care. Is are, are my two favorite movies of of the past year. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's there's a great quote in that. And and one of the it's the quotes basically. People should try to ex- exceed their grasp. You know, try to kind of achieve beyond. And we started Wayward Pines yesterday. My father, my girlfriend. And we really like it. Like we're we're, we're episode in it. We're hooked, right? Mm-hmm. And why is M Knight such a freaking target? Like I feel like he's the guy that does try to exceed his grasp, you know. And he's such a target for people. Like, you know, people don't. You know, they they, they say, "Oh, here's another bust," or here's. I think he's such a visionary, and yeah, not all of his stuff hits, whatever. But I just I don't get why people are. All over M. Night. And I know he produced. And I don't know if you had a... I know he directed the first episode. But I don't know how, how much of a chance you had to work with him on Wayward Pines. But he's an unfair target. Because I think he's super talented and super creative.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a super sweet guy. And he was, he was great. And I, I don't think he here, I don't think he gives a crap about what anyone thinks he's just making movies because he likes to make them. He's got his whole sort of compound in Pennsylvania where he shoots and edits and rehearses. And uh, yeah, I, none of that seems to have trickled down to him. He's confident and creative and just, he's, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys who's just doing it his way doing what he wants to do and and he keeps doing it so he's uh if I could come back in another life yeah I'd like to be M. Knight (laughs)
1: yeah and thank you for for being with me for so long I just have one more movie to talk about of course yeah I gotta tell you Moneyball makes me cry it makes me it's one of my favorite movies of all time and you're a big part of that I feel like you're you know and I had a casting director on before you and she's like there's and she said and Warren Beatty kind of echoed this sentiment there's no small parts, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if you're going to have a part in the movie, you better make it effective. And I don't think your part is small. I think you play a a, mm-hmm. a guy that has a huge part of the movie. And you said yourself, you're not a huge sports fan, but, you know, your, your role in that movie is pivotal in showing what Brad Pitt uh, and Billy Bean are up, who plays Billy Bean, are up against. Talk about what it was like working with Brad Pitt and opposite Brad Pitt.
2: I would love to. But first of all, I do want to say... There are definitely small parts. There are small parts. There are parts where you're like, what can I? There's nothing I could do with this. And then the trick is to do nothing with it. But this was not that part. This was, it was an incredible creative experience. Now, so back to what we talked about earlier, Brad Pitt couldn't have been cooler, right? He couldn't have been more there to play. And it was interesting because so used to television where there's no rehearsal, you just get in there and you do, you can do five scenes, six scenes a day. Right. Yeah. So um, we'd had rehearsal for this. This was the first day of shooting that we shot that scene and we had all day to shoot it. We'd come in. So we, that was on a Monday. We'd come in the previous Friday to rehearse it for hours. And they had the, they had one script that was Sorkin's script. And then Brad had rewritten the scene, giving me much more to do. And then Bennett Miller, the director, when we ended up shooting, we ended up improvising all day long going on to the script going off the script and it was really funny because for the whole basically uh, you traditionally a day is like is 12 hours right so you shoot six hours you go to lunch and then you shoot another six hours after lunch thereabouts so we spent all morning shooting towards brad shooting brad's coverage and the rest of the gang behind him and jonah and all that and and we shot the movie on film. Wally Pfister was the DP and Bennett Miller's the director. And he would just keep the the camera rolling and he'd like, do it again, do it again. And we just we, we we'd improvise the hell out of it. Right. And just crazy stuff didn't even make it into the movie where, where we talk about the chair and I'm pretending to be Captain Kirk. It was just we did all these re- and it was so creative and so exciting. And you talk about nerves. So then we go to lunch and I remember the background guys said to me, they go, wow, that was amazing. That was amazing. You, you did such a great job. I go, it hasn't happened yet because we ha- I hadn't shot my side yet. So I was like, I don't know if I have it in me. I've just been improvising for six hours. <laughs> I hope I can remember some of this and, and, and be able to do it after lunch. But, you know, it, we ended up, it ended up going pretty quickly and we hit some of the highlights. Bennett would just call out one of the improvs we did. He's go down that path, go down that one. But it it couldn't have been a better, more um, fulfilling experience. And and I see the method to Bennett's madness, you know, of having everyone improvise. And because when I watched that movie, it was I was so struck by everyone's performances where they seemed real. You couldn't tell who were the actual baseball players or the actual scouts and who were actors because it takes it getting out of your head, which we, we talked about earlier by improvising and just like running it and playing you at certain point, you just stop thinking and you just start playing and mm-hmm. you just start playing pretend. And, um, and Brad was, you know, Brad never left the set and he was just a, he's an amazing actor and he's a great improviser and it was just fun. And you knew you talk, once again, this theme, you know, it, we were working together and we had, everyone had each other's backs. So you knew you could do something stupid. You could fall on your face and yeah, it's fine. The other guy will pick you up or we will try it again. And so the, no one was going to leave you hanging. And that's why for me, I've gotten more jobs from that one scene than anything else I've done in my career. I think I worked for four years with, just off of that scene.
1: Mm and, and you know you're an amazing actor too and and you know I hope you give yourself credit privately in your mind because uh, I you <laughs> you have an extensive body of work. You talk about <laughs> you, a lot of this interview we're talking about other people but let's face it uh Reed you're a fantastic actor as well. So I hope you hope you realize that. Um Thank you. you, Thank you. Yeah, and and you know one when we look at Brad Pitt's career, he's another guy like M Night. He took a lot of shit early on. Like he is so goddamn good in Meet Joe Black, Legends of the Fall, River Absolutely. Runs Through It. And people shit on him his whole career. I'm like, are you people watching a different like cinema than I am? Because I think he's so good in everything. Like there's never I don't think he's ever had a clunker. And for you to tell me that he's like this on set makes me like both of you, even more, because
2: oh yeah, I love he, that. People just hate him because the, you know, the people are mad at him because he's got those. He's so handsome. He's got those incredible <laughs> apps. You know, when we first saw him in Thelma and Louise, right? No, and, and he's talented too. Who wants someone so handsome and talented and cool? Like, come on. So of course you have to like you know you got to you know if you can't if you can't build it up you got to tear it down.
1: So yeah, you play Mark Shapiro. Just for those of you who haven't seen Money and shame on you if you haven't. Um, and Mark Shapiro, I liked your. He really, he liked your um, uh, portrayal of him, and he said the the portrayal that Pitt had of Billy Bean was, like, scary accurate, like, as far as, I mean, obviously Brad had a bigger chance to, to show what he had, because if the movie went on longer, you know, Shapiro would have seen himself, you know, through you a lot more, but, you know, he sees Pitt and he says it's scary how good he got it, like, his mannerisms and all this other stuff, so it's just signs of great acting all over the place in that movie, and you had, you had a line, you say two quotes in that movie that I swear to God you got started again. You say too soon, which everybody says now again, and you say hard, it's a hard no. Like I find myself using those two, like like, like if somebody, like if I ask somebody a question and they say, no, I'm all set, Okay, okay I'm getting a hard no on that one. And uh, too soon, like, come on now, I have not heard those two quotes before that movie. And, and maybe I'm giving too much credit to you and Moneyball, but that's, I'm staying by that.
2: Oh, you! Yeah, I'll take it.
1: <laughs> um, That's going to be a
2: hard no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, I have to say that Moneyball is one of the best movies of all time, and it's really just, you know, again, it's another theme of you know reaching within, you know, thinking outside the box, reaching without, you know, you know, without gra- you're trying to grasp something and, not, and it's just not being there. I I just think it's such a wonderful movie, and you must look back with such pride on
2: that. Yeah, I mean, I was—I've really happy to have been part of that, and it was a great experience. And especially because I do, like, I, I do so much television work, and it's so quick, and and there's no time to really play at that level, or and so uh, it was a wonderful opportunity. I'm, I'm very proud to be part of it. Yeah, thank yeah, you.
1: And when I watch you two on scene, when I watch you and Brad on scene, I mm-hmm. I, I assume you guys have been friends for 20 years, like, and that's what you—that goes back to your earlier point of teamwork. Like there's mm-hmm. I, I like there's no way you guys could have had that scene if he was arrogant and you were standoffish. There's no way that would have flowed. No mm-hmm.
2: way. There's no way. And that's and in he's a you know, he's an ensemble player and he he I mean it was funny, I, I still t- he was an advocate for me. I I'd come up I had some idea and he go, oh, I like Reed's idea. He, so that's but that's the you can't manufacture that. You that's who he is, right? And that's who George Clooney is and that's who those guys are. And if you're if you're, I mean, look, there's a lot of super successful actors who aren't that way, and and uh, I'm impressed by them too. I, I, it's it's, but they couldn't behave any other way than than the sort of Machiavellian way they may per they may behave off camera. Um, so it's yeah, he's just a, he's a good guy, and yeah. he deserves all the success he has.
1: And I wonder sometimes because I know that him and Clooney are, are friends. I wonder if they've ever communicated like. Clooney saying, yeah, I had this guy in said, He's a great guy. And, you know, Pitt maybe taking it and saying, okay, let's – you know, I wonder if they do communicate like that. You know, in other words, just – because I know those two guys are pretty close and I am sure
2: they're talking I, – I think they're probably talking about me right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> His name is Reed Diamond. Reed, you are like so easy to talk to. You're such a good guy. I liked you before the interview. I like you even more now. Um, is there anything you wanted to promote before we before we end the interview?
2: No, just uh, we'll you know we're, we've got the season finale for uh, Designing Survivor, and then we'll be back in the new year, and that's what's going on right now. And, and it's been uh, thank you so much. I, I've really this was a great conversation. Your 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 wonderful interview, and it's 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 great to get to talk some of these things out. And I hope I hope people who are listening find some of it interesting.
1: Reed, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Come with me to the video
0: room. I want to show you something. No, man, I'm not
2: for film right now.
0: Come on. Seriously. Come on, Billy. Come on. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, is scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting, because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit her home run and didn't even realize it.
2: How can you not be romantic about baseball? It's
0: a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor.
2: Okay. Pete, you're a good egg.
3: This is the song I told you I'd record. Please don't show it to anyone else. Um, Let me know if you change your mind and stay in California. If not, you're a really great dad. (sighs) I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is a maze and love is a riddle. But I don't show it, I can't figure it out, it's hanging me down, I know, I've got to let it go, and just enjoy the show, slow it down, make it stop, or else my heart is going to pop, cause it's too much, yeah it's a lot, to be something I'm not. Enough. I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is a maze and love is a riddle. I don't know where to go. Can't do it alone. I've tried and I don't know why. I'm just a little girl lost in the moment. I'm so scared, but I don't show it. I can't figure it out. It's bringing me down. I know I've got. Let it go And just enjoy The show Dum de dum Dum de dum Just enjoy The show You're such a loser, dad You're such a loser, dad You're such a loser, dad Just enjoy The show You're such a loser, dad You're such a loser, dad You're such a loser, dad Just
0: enjoy The show